So Diana, the headline of the tweet that, that caught our attention this week was I sold five businesses in six months and I thought it would be great to have this person on the podcast to actually talk about, you know, this type of a path. Because as you and I were talking, we don't think many business owners see this as an option. It's either a unicorn or bust or, right, I'm paying my bills and, and that's good enough. So Brian Castle is on the podcast with us today and kind of talk about the why and probably more importantly, the, the how we did it. But before we dive in, Brian, just a little bit, I'm going to share a little bit of your background. Currently, you're the, the founder and CEO of Zip Message, which by the way, is this super cool little tool. You've also founded and, and sold Business Restaurant Engine, Process Kit, Audience Ops, and, and Sunrise KPI. And, and let me know if I, I missed any other ones <laughs> along the way. And yeah, There's one or two more in there, but <laughs> you guys have uh, you know really great uh, research here. This is awesome. We get, we get the, 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 the path. And what's interesting is you, you started this first company in 08. It sounds like a long time, but, it, but it's really not for a lot of the stuff that you had accomplished. So... So with that said, Brian, welcome to the podcast, and you know I'm looking forward to diving into this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to to get into all of it. Um, I I've been on this journey exploring and like trying to find what will be that long term company. Um, in late 2021, early 22 is when I cleared the deck of most of them and and went all in on uh, on Zip Message. Did you plan on clearing the deck in such a short period of time or was there was there like a, a series of signs that said it's time to just narrow the focus? It, it sort of got its own momentum. Uh, the, the main one that I was looking to exit was audience ops. That was the most significant one of all these little exits that I, that I just did. Um, so so that was where it started in in 2021. I felt like I was finally ready to to fully move on from just just from audience ops because that that was the my primary source of income. So audience ops was a uh, well, I say was it still it still is great team. They're they're still running, but uh, I'm not there anymore. It's a productized service doing content as a service, and I spent the first like three years of it, really building it, the, the operations, the processes, the team. And then the last three or four years on that business, I was very hands-off. I mean, a, amazing team running it day to day. I was only touching it a little bit. And, and I spent those, those later years starting up uh, software businesses. So, and I was holding it for those later years. Like I, I just kept holding it. It was a great bootstrapped cash flow business, giving me plenty of free time to to work on the next stuff. But, you know, by, by 2021 is when I started to just actively think it's, it's time for me to move on. And, and that deal happened. We, we can get into it if you want, but then process kit was the other SaaS product that I had on my plate that I also wanted to uh, exit and, and move on. Those were like the two that I intended to, to sell. And then the other ones, Sunrise KPI. And then there was a smaller one called Thready very small little projects that never really went anywhere. And, and I sort of just unloaded those. And then productize was more unexpected. Um, so productize was a course and, and community business that I, I had for many years. I started that back in 2014. So that's like a course on how to build a productized service and a community of, of, of folks like that. And when some friends and contacts saw me selling my other stuff. They, I started getting inquiries about like, well, what about, what are you doing with your productized course? Cause you're, you don't seem to be touching that anymore either. And so that's how that came about. I ended up selling it to, to a member on, on that. 
Interesting. Yeah, so much to dig into with that. But I, <laughs> I think that my first question, well, two, I want to get into how you were able to kind of move yourself out of the business, right? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners really struggle with that aspect. So I think it's, I think it's a great insight. But I want to go back to like 08 when what was your plan? Was this what the plan was when you started? Because it was kind of timely. Diane and I had an episode last week where we talked about planning objective or objectives. What's your goal? You know, what are you trying to get to? And then what's the plan to get there? And how many people don't have it? So I'm just curious. Yeah. You know, when you started, what was what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> great, great question. Um, I think about 2008 a lot. Actually, I, it was such a major turning point. I, I was very young at the time. I was in my 20s and. Um, Looking back on it, like I wasn't like, you know, I want to build a business, although I both my grandfathers were business owners and I have it in my in my blood and everything. But I was more about at that time. I just thought I was going to become a freelancer. That was my my focus. I, I was uh, I was working at a web design agency in New York and I learned, you know what, there are web designers in the world who do this on a freelance basis. And that seemed interesting to me, especially a, a person in my 20s. You know, I was single at the time and uh, you know didn't have kids at the time and and i was like you know what if if i'm gonna try this freelancing thing now is a great time to do it and you know um, when i'm not really tied down to anything and I, I could take that sort of risk really and i always look back on that year because i chose to leave that agency in january of 2008 and then the, the crash happened in like november of, of 2008 right, right and so by that point i was fully like full-time freelance web design and and it in a weird way you know the economic recession really helped me as a freelancer because a lot of these companies were letting go of their full-time employees and hiring freelancers instead so that sort of helped keep me afloat in, in that in those early years and, and then you know I also really look back on that thinking if if I had waited to leave and and held on to my job in 2008 there's a chance I would have, I would still be employed there today or, or, or just employed in general today. Right. Because that, that company was able to not lay off people through that time. And I would have held on to my job, you know, for dear life at that point. So I sort of just look back on that, like feeling really lucky that I went self-employed at, at the time that I did. But yeah, I, I, I actually wasn't even thinking in terms of like products or, or growing teams or anything. I was really just like, I want freedom. But it was pretty quickly into like a year or two of of building websites that I started to discover like, oh, there are these people selling digital products on the internet, selling web-based, web design-based products. And I was thinking like, I have those skills. I can create those things. I don't have to do client work. And that just started a snowball of learning and exploring and and then getting into product businesses and just building and building and building. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so at what point was it that, Hey, all of a sudden I, I'm starting, was it when you started thinking about selling the businesses that you developed a, a goal or a plan or even like say moved to 2015 or 2014, I think was the year you took a, a year off to the, do the nomad style. Was that still at your point focus still freedom um, and were you, was there a bigger picture goal at that point or was it still just, the first exit was in 2015, middle of 2015. I sold a business called Restaurant Engine. I'd started that, I think, in 2011, and it was like a website hosting, website design service for the restaurant industry. And, you know, it, it basically worked as like a SaaS business, but we had like a service component with it. And uh, I bootstrapped that for four or five years, and it was incredible. It was an incredible learning experience of, of 
building a recurring revenue subscription service that wasn't client work for the first time in my career. And then, you know, I, I grew that as, as far as I could take it. And I did get to a point where I was like a little burnt out on selling to restaurants, frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, I had no personal connection to that industry. You know, we did fairly well with like Google and SEO and stuff like that. But like, I, I wasn't going to go fly out to the restaurant industry conference and, and stuff like that. I just wasn't interested. And, and so that's, you know, talking to friends and advisors, that was the first time it even occurred to me that like selling this business could be an option. And that was 2015. And I, I worked with a broker to, to get it sold. Um, so that was an incredible learning experience. It was, it was pretty stressful for, for me. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's super fascinating. One, I'd love to, I think where we're going to get to, and Diane, I may be stealing your question here, which is, right, when you sold the business in 2015 versus now, right, I think it was much more uncommon at that point to sell a micro business. Right now, we've got like Micro Acquire and some other firms, Flippa, that are that are out there. But, you know, how was that journey different, you know, back then to, to today? Well, I think that there were, I mean, definitely today there's, there's, a lot more, not only marketplaces, but just a lot more bootstrapped businesses in general, or software businesses in general, right? Smaller, a, a lot more smaller players. But I mean, 2015, there there still were quite a few as well. Um, I've been attending uh, MicroConf every year, I think since like 2013. Um, and that's been a really great community of basically bootstrapped software businesses. That's where I, I, I meet a lot of those kind of people. So I've been in touch with that sort of community for many years. In that time, 2015, like there were there were brokers. I, I worked with one called FE International. Um, there's a few others. So so they would handle deals of, of all sizes, you know, for, ranging from you know six six figures to, to, to seven figures. But like today, in 2021, 20, 2022, there are so many more options, especially with micro require. Um, but it also helped for me, like at this point in my career, I have a, a larger network. So like when I sold audience ops, I, I ended up selling it to a personal contact. Uh, I did have it listed on micro acquire, but I, but I, but it ended up selling to somebody that I already knew JD Grafham. So a few of those other ones I, I did sell to people on micro acquire, but then productize was, was another one to, to a personal contact. So nowadays, I think it's getting increasingly common for folks to go into entrepreneurship and, or plan to start a business with the intent of exit. I mean, I know this happens at all stages, but I'm thinking about the, the smaller business owners and they think I'm going to build up this website flipping site and then I'm going to sell it. Do you think that's a viable path for someone who doesn't have entrepreneurial experience? It, it sounds like you kind of, I don't want to say stumbled into it because you had a plan and you built businesses. But do you think that's a, a viable path for folks today to build entrepreneurship around building and selling businesses, micro businesses? Yeah, I, I think it's a good question. I, I see more and more people approaching it that way. I, I personally never really start anything specifically intending to sell it. But I, I think, especially since selling the business in 2015, everything that I've done since then, I have intentionally built the business as a as an asset that that could eventually be sold, I just don't intend on like when it might ever be sold, how big this thing might get, how how long I might work on it. You know, for example, at at the time that I sold Restaurant Engine, it was like a six figure exit. It wasn't like uh, life changing. Well, for me, it was a little life changing, but it was like it, it was not like never work again kind of thing. 
so I, I knew I had to replace that income like fairly quickly. And I, and that's when I started audience ops, but from day one of audience ops, it was intent and, and audience ops is very much a service business with a team who, who delivers written content to, to clients. I designed that business from day one with a team in place with processes that don't require me. Like I never wrote an article for a client. It was, I, I, I was all about building the systems, the processes, and get myself out of the delivery as much as possible. At, at first, the goal was to just make a sustainable recurring revenue business that could run without me and free me up. But but it certainly, I, I was thinking from day one, like if if I'm gonna work on any business, it, the, the most likely outcome at the end is gonna be in selling it. You know, uh, so the, not, the, the intent yeah. wasn't necessarily the unicorn or bust, you know, you could build a nice business right. and, you know, again, I think a lot of business owners struggle with, man, I get stuck or I've got to a point where I don't know if I can take it anymore. And I don't even think they think of an option of selling it, either the burnout or they just shut the business down and, and move on. And I think it's good that the, the path, and I think this episode will help folks maybe rethink the way we did it. But the other thing that I find fascinating about your journey and many business owners really struggle with is getting them working themselves out of the business, right? And so I'm just kind of curious, was that something that came natural to you? Because it's not natural for a lot of folks and they go kicking right. and screaming out of certain functions what was it or what was kind of the thought process? Was it something you learned as you were going through it or you know, how did you approach that? Yeah, definitely, definitely picked it up uh, as I went along. I, I, I learned a lot in that first business, Restaurant Engine, but then especially in Audience Ops, that's where I really intentionally, does every single thing was, I, I don't want to be working in this business day to day. I did spend a good three years working on those processes and hiring and learning and trial and error and things like that. But I remember when I started Audience Ops, because I was considering several business ideas at the time, and one of them was like, well, if I'm going to do a business like Audience Ops, the, the rule is like, I'm never going to be the one delivering articles myself. Like it has to run without me. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just not interested in doing this business. And so, yeah, it was, it was just a, a process of, of figuring out First, like how, how do we literally deliver like a blog article every single week to, to clients and then do that times 50 or times 100 every, every week? How, you know, how many writers do we need to hire? And then, and then over the years, it became like, well, who are the best type of writers to hire for this? Who, who makes a really great long-term fit? You know, that, that kind of stuff. I, I also treated it like um, kind of programming in a way when it comes to making processes. Now I, I am mostly a, designer developer of, of software, but I, I treated that like I, I had the same approach when it came to SOPs and people. It's like step one, step two, step three. If this happens, then we're going to go down that path. If that happens, go down that path and just build in all those contingencies, you know, and, and I think also the, the thing that I learned there, because, you know, going back to like 2008, I was, I was a freelance web designer doing many different projects for different types of clients. Everything was completely different. I hired a bit here and there, but it was not very systematic. Audience Ops was intentionally like we do one thing and we do it repeatedly and we have a set price and and it's this is the this is the product, even though we do it as a service. It's a productized service, right? So that made it a lot easier to delegate and, and figure out the roles and put people in place. 
And just to dig into that maybe for a second too. So when you think about definitely from the delivery aspect and what you're building, but I think where a lot of business owners struggle is that how do I get new customers, right? And it's harder for them to systemize or thinking about how do we get the funnel of new customers coming in. From a delivery standpoint, I find a lot of folks are really good. Hey, we get them in the door, we can deliver, we get them up and running. But where they struggle is trying to get a process or a system around new business, new business development, where if the owner's not out selling, that's that tends to be one of the biggest blockers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be honest that the, the, the sales top of funnel side has probably always been my my weak point. I, I feel like a lot of it uh, has come organically. And and then with the business with, with the business like audience ops, it was like it just sort of built on, on itself over time. In the early days, it was like my personal net, network. And then it was some organic referral, word of mouth. Uh, I, I did. So the sales, like doing the sales calls back in, in audience ops was my role for many of those years. And that was like the last piece that I delegated to to someone else. Maybe even dig in a little bit on the, the people side of it too, because again, that, that can be a challenge if you're hiring for the first time or bringing people into new roles and running the business at the same time and trying to find the right people. What was your your approach or your process for for finding the right folks? Yeah, that, that was a really big learning experience for sure. And, and I always thought about it like, we're selling this service to clients just as much as we're selling it to our team. You know, like we, we treated that as a value proposition, like, Here's why you would want to work at, at this company, why it's valuable, why it's a great experience. And, you know, we even had like testimonials from, from team members on our jobs page and stuff like that. And, uh, but it was also a learning experience on who are the, the ideal people to join our team and who stick around the, the longest. And, you know, looking back on that business, I, I always feel so proud of, of like the team members stuck with it for the entire time six some of them six or seven years the our, our team at the time that i sold it it was about 25 people actually contractors you know freelancers so we had pretty flexible workflows but you know we have deadlines and deliverables and stuff like that um one thing that i learned is you know we started to really kind of optimize who is the right type of freelancer that fits this sort of thing that there are like the really expensive and, and experienced consultants who've been around for, for many years. They're probably not going to be a great fit first because of the cost, but also because it's like a lot, a lot of them aren't really um, looking for like a team atmosphere, but then you also don't want to find somebody who's brand new to freelancing. You know, we we've had people who just left a job and they're looking for their first freelance gig and that's not going to work out so well either. Cause you know, chances are uh, they can't sustain it. And then we have to find someone else. Yeah. Was there anything you wish that you had done differently in the beginning that maybe affected your, the, your exit or uh, looking back, do you wish that you had done a little bit differently? One of the things that I, that I learned in my first sale in 2015, I, it didn't occur to me then, but, but looking back on it now it, is like, if you're looking to sell your business, it doesn't have to be perfect. Your, your business doesn't have to be all wrapped up in a bow. And in, in fact, like a buyer doesn't want to buy a perfect business, right? They, they want to buy a business that they can improve and grow. You know, they want to see opportunities to, to pick up a business and, and know exactly how they can grow it pretty quickly. So, you know, I, I think I learned that like when you're presenting your business, just be honest and open about here are the benefits. Here, here's what we've built. Here's why it's valuable. But 
you know, warts and all, these are the growth opportunities for it too. Makes sense. And and definitely when I was reading back through your journey, one of the things that that jumped out to me is, you know, are you building products to sell to other companies? Are you building a company to sell? And maybe it's just semantics on it, but I think it's it's interesting. And maybe as some of these business owners are thinking about what, what industry they're in, whether it's software or service or something that's a little bit more traditional and knowing that it's not going to be the, the massive company and they could look at a, you know, a more of a micro sale, you know, maybe to package it as a product that would be fit. I'm just curious. I was thinking out loud as I was reading it, that, you know, part of it is companies seem to be much more complex, but if you kind of position it as a product that another company could buy, Maybe, maybe that's just messaging and positioning. I don't know. Just curious. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think every sale, every acquisition, you know, sometimes it's just purely financial. They see a cash flow that they want to acquire. But I think more times than not, especially when you're dealing with like software products and things like that, there's some strategic element to it. Like we want to pick up this business because it works well with our other businesses or something like that. What are some of the big differences between, since you've sold several service-based businesses and several SaaS businesses, what are some of the differences between the two? Well, in, in a lot of ways, audience ops, the, the service business looked just like a SaaS business, except it just didn't have software. It was just people, but, but it was recurring revenue. We had churn, you know, we, we had signups every month. So we had the same sort of metrics. We had a, we had a Stripe account. Like it was, it, it looked the same as a, as a SaaS business. But it was a lot more about the team in, in terms of the, the value and, and, and our processes, you know, like we talked about. Whereas with a SaaS, so I sold a SaaS and, it, and no team members went with it. It was just the code base and, and, the, and the subscriptions that, that went along with it. With a SaaS, although it was pretty easy in, in my case, uh, I had a great buyer for, for the SaaS, for the most recent SaaS that I sold, you know, because he was technical and but like there, there could be a, a much more in-depth technical due diligence process, whereas selling the service business, it, they looked a little bit at our processes, but it was the, the due diligence was more on like the, yeah, like the operations and the sales and the team and the financials. Yeah. Just curious now that you've been through this, you know, almost a half a dozen times, is it more of a top line number that these buyers are looking for that if I'm a business owner, I should be thinking about, is it, you know, a half a million in revenue? I know it's going to be slightly different, but I'm just curious that you've been through this. Is there something yeah, as my, a business owner I should be targeting? I've been through it a bunch, but I'm, I, I don't consider myself a, an expert, but, but I have talked to a lot of people about it and I have friends who are, who are deep, deep into this stuff. And so my, what I have learned is I think in general, as, as like a general rule of thumb, obviously every deal is completely different, but a general rule of thumb, if in terms of recurring revenue subscription businesses, so mostly SaaS, the lower the revenue, so like sub million, you're, you're probably looking at a multiple based on the net profit, the, the earnings from the business. Whereas if once you get above that, you're probably looking at a multiple based on the top line revenue. You know, I, I think the thinking is like, if you're, if, if you're, if you're larger and you're growing, you're not expected to have a, a lot of profit because you just keep reinvesting in growth. So they, they multiply off of the, off the revenue number. And then in terms of what the multiple is, that, that range is really all over the map. Anywhere between like three and, and 8x is typical, I think, for, for a SaaS business. But then you see crazy multiples, high, crazy high multiples when you get into strategic acquisitions, you know, where it's like 
a company wants a tool because it makes so much sense strategically for it. That's where you see 20x multi, just ridiculous. And and that that happens all the time. If someone's listening to this right now and they think, you know, I'm ready, I I want to take the next step to sell my business, what should they do next? What's the first thing you, you suggest they do? The the very first thing is just to sort of think about like what does this business look like when I am not in the picture? I mean, sometimes people do go like as part of the acquisition, they, they still work there for a few years. I, I was never interested in in that. But if you are looking to actually exit the business, not work in it anymore, then you have to think about what will this business look like when I'm not here? Because that'll be probably question number one from any buyer is like, you know, they'll, they'll either look to see like, can it run without you? And if it can't, who do I need to hire to replace you? And how much would that person cost? And and what would it take to train them and, and all that? So, you know, and, and then that would literally affect the value of, of the business, right? So that would probably be question number one. And then just in terms of the, the overall valuation, generally, I, th- I think recurring revenue businesses are more valuable because you're, you're acquiring existing accounts. Whereas if it's like a one-time sale, like, so, so there's a lot of agencies who really only sell projects and they're not really recurring retainers. You know, the, if you're an agency, the, the more uh, retainer business that you can build up is, is probably better than just one-time projects. To your point, right, if we're going to look to optimize, right? So if I'm getting into a business and I'm an owner and I'm thinking, man, I, I want to get to 10 million or a billion, but you know what? I think in the short term, there's certain things that I need to be building for just in case I want to exit this early, right? It's always build to sell, right? Or, but I think in this way, it's build to sell at, you know, the 80, 20 rule, make sure you've got the core of what I'm taking away from you is processes are in place. How does this business run without you? And if it can't, then you need to start thinking about this sooner rather than later. And like I said, it's kind of like the mid-level <laughs> exit strategy. But my guess, at least to the folks in Diane, I'm sure the folks you work with as well, not on their radar, right? It's either go big or go home. And I just I think this is just such a practical approach to it and build a nice little profitable business. And there's probably somebody out there that's that's going to be interested in it. I like to tell people, even if you have no plans to sell your business anytime soon, I mean, even if you don't want to sell your business anytime soon, it's still good to build your business as if it might be sold at some point, because it's just good practice, good business practice to have a business that does not rely solely on you, has strong processes, has a, has a strong team in place, you know, has, has a value proposition that, that, that matters to a market, right? These are all good things if you're going to sell the business and great things if you're just going to run your business, right? I mean, that that was really always the goal. It was much more the goal for me is to build a business that just runs and, and creates value over time. And for me, I've always been really driven by getting into businesses that I, that I really enjoy working on. So right now, I, I love working on ZipMessage and the craft of designing software, talking to customers every day. Like right now, I'm actually not as concerned with removing myself from the day-to-day. I'm, I'm in it and I'm trying to build a business that I will be in for many years, but it is a software business. So it, it does have uh, recurring revenue and, and, and value in, in the code base and, and all that. So one more question for me, and I think it's around the, the due diligence side. I'm guessing the better prepared you are with your financials and, and some of the process, it's a quicker, but I'm just curious, is this a a two week process, a six week process, three month process. What is it from the yeah? Uh, it's, diligence? It it 
in my experience, it's been all over the map. You know, <laughs> one deal took three months to go from uh, accepted offer to closed. So a lot of due diligence, a lot of contract negotiation. Another one went from accepted LOI to closed in five days. <laughs> Wire transfer, everything. And and we weren't flying blind. It was just it, every buyer is a little bit different. It was just and and I mean, yeah, it's like I'm I don't enjoy uh selling business. I, I know I'm I'm talking about the story of selling a lot of businesses recently, but like to me, like the process of of doing a, a deal to to sell a business is not fun for me. <laughs> I, I'm I'm much more a builder. Uh I'd I'd rather be uh talking to customers and selling products and not, you know, not hung up on contract negotiations and due diligence. But yeah, you're right. Like if you, if you are getting ready to go to market to sell your business, the more work that you can do up front in terms of preparing the financials, making sure, because they're going to ask for all of it. They're going to need to see the bank statements, the tax returns, the, the, the P&Ls and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and also like metrics, you know, business metrics have a good handle on on what your churn rate looks like and your revenue and, 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 you know, average revenue per account and, and all that kind of stuff. Any, any buyer is going to need to see that kind of stuff. That's great. I would just like to hear you talk a little bit more. I know we talked about zip message briefly, but uh, tell us about what you're super excited about right now. Yeah. I mean, zip message was born out of a personal frustration when I was doing customer support for a previous SaaS product. And I just wanted a simple way to send a customer a link so that they can reply to me on video and, and they can re they can click my link, they can record their screen, record their video and, and it goes straight into my, into the browser. But, but then we can have a back and forth asynchronous conversation. So it can actually re replace meetings. It, it can replace unnecessary calls, especially if you're doing client work where you need to do like design feedback and go back and forth, or you're hiring someone remotely and, you know, maybe you had a quick, 15 minute Zoom call to meet them and, and, and see about the fit, but then you have 20 follow-up questions to dig in. That can be done asynchronously. And, and I'm actually finding that you, you create a better outcome when you communicate this way asynchronously, because each person has, has the space to step back and receive a message, think about their response, prepare it, maybe re-record it and make it tighter. And you're moving the ball forward more easily. So, so with zip message, you can use it like you would create a video message and send to someone. But the difference from other tools is that you can easily get a reply back from someone else. You can get your own zip message link with, that you can share with people. It's like your own intake page. You can embed that on your website. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun project, uh, a fun product, but it has really uh, gained a lot of traction since, uh, since 2021 um, because everybody is communicating uh, remotely now, but more and more people are moving to this like asynchronous way of communicating. Yeah. I mean, even in my business for seven years with Audience Tops, we almost had no, we had like almost no meetings. It, it was all asynchronous communication because we just found that more effective. It gave people more space to do their work. And so this, this lets you have the same thing as like a Zoom call with this, with the face-to-face -face video uh, or screen recording. But I can record it now. The person I'm working with who might be on, in Australia can record it and we go back and forth over a few days, you know. That is compelling because I'm sure that many of us listening right now have had the Slack combo and the person gets annoyed and then you end up on all these impromptu Zooms and half your day is gone. 
instead yeah. of being able and, and and then it's still like they're trying to get their idea out but you're not ready to digest and respond like th- this is exactly. just extremely compelling <laughs> yeah thinking, and, diana for our podcast this is it we can use right? in our communication back you know and that forth. that is that. one of the most interesting things so i i'm starting up this new podcast and i'm i'm actually using zip message to i'm i'm doing i'm doing this i'm i'm using riverside for like the live interviews but then we're doing pieces recorded asynchronously where they're just answering like rapid fire questions uh async um and we're actually coming out with a feature uh next week where so you're in a async conversation on zip message you you might have 10 or 20 back and forth recordings this new feature you can export all of it out to a single uh video or audio where where we'll like stitch it together for you um so podcasters have been asking for that I like it. But we do uh, really like cool. automatic transcriptions of, of your messages too. So, and that's kind of cool because you could search all of your all of your messages for things that were said in a in a meeting, you know, or in a conversation. So, that's yeah. awesome. Well, that's very exciting. I'm I'm really glad. You know, this is part of a podcast. Everyone expects you to talk about your business, but Brett and I, I you could probably tell we're genuinely very excited about your product. So that's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And and definitely appreciate your time. I know we're running running short. So, Brian, thank you for doing this. And I know I'm drawing a blank and shame on me. I don't have my note in front of you. The other podcast you record with your your partner is actually really interesting because you share a lot of insights in your both of your journeys as you're going through this process. So what we've talked about is kind of the summary version. If you want to get a little more in depth, I would encourage you to check out your other podcast yeah thanks yeah that's uh, that's bootstrapped web uh my, my buddy jordan gal and i we, we've been recording that for years like i think going on like seven years uh so that's just the two of us what we're currently working on in our businesses behind the scenes you know so that's that's a fun one and if someone wants to stay in touch and keep tabs on what you're doing other than the podcast where's the best place to connect with you yeah uh, i'm pretty active on twitter uh so uh, i'm at uh, cast jam I'm sharing, you know, stuff that I'm working on there. You could always connect with me there. Um, and of course, my my product is ZipMessage. And I mean, I have a, a ZipMessage. You can go to ZipMessage.com slash Brian, and that's where you can send me a message or a video, an audio, text, whatever. So that's, you know, just to show you sort of how, how that works. <laughs> Very cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Brian. We really enjoyed the conversation and uh, we'll, we'll catch back up. We want to see where this project or product and company ends up uh, taking. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing the insights with everybody. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for uh, having me on. This is fun.